Hello, and welcome to the Summit Church Podcast. Our messages are designed to help teach and equip you on your journey to lead people to follow Christ. We hope that this message will inspire and encourage you no matter where you are in your journey towards Jesus. If you have any questions, want to talk, or want to learn more about Summit, visit us at summitniles.com. If you take your Bibles with me this morning, turn to the New Testament, John's Gospel, chapter 14. That is our text. I'm glad you're joining with us today here at Summit Church. My name's Dan, one of the pastors here. It's my privilege to serve you and share God's Word together. If you're here in person or if you are joining online, glad that you're here. Good to be together. Take your Bibles, open them up, turn them on, join me in locating the New Testament, John's Gospel, chapter 14. While you find that, I'm going to give you two reminders of ways to practice generosity. Generosity is one of the values of Summit Church. You listed the, the values there. The gospel is a value. Grace, growth, that is spiritual growth and maturity in the lives of people. Groups, we're not in a spiritual journey on our own, but we, we are better together. Gifts, every Christian has a spiritual gift that God has given them to, to use, and we also value generosity. Let me, well, let me just share with you the, the mission. While we're talking about values, um, let me just share the mission. The mission is, is, is found in the Great Commission to make disciples, uh, making disciples by going, baptizing, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. You see, God hasn't called us just to make any kind of disciples, but uh, disciples like he's instructed, people who understand uh, all, of, all of the things that he's instructed. We talk about it this way. Our mission is to lead people to follow Christ. We do that. A method of doing that uh, is, is simply this, to, to help people know God, that indeed with our minds, with our head, there, there's some things about Christianity you need to know in order to be a Christian. And so... We need to know God, and we accomplish that by God helping us to love people. That's where your head and your heart is also involved. And then your hands get involved when we serve the world. So our mission, our method. Well, here's generosity, a couple of ways. Uh, I, I shared with this with you a couple of weeks ago. Bibles for Mozambique. The missions team bought 500 Bibles. Uh, we're going to be sponsoring that. Any um, $4.09 that you add to that buys another Bible. You can add to that number by giving toward that for a couple more weeks. Also, I reminded you about the, the, the vehicle fund for Roy and Faith Hill. Missions team from Summit Church was able to contribute uh, $10,000 to that fund. Uh, you can add to that by giving toward the vehicle fund. A couple more weeks to do that as well. Now, turn your attention this morning to the message for today. We're talking about the answer for trouble. John chapter 14, notice verse 1. John 14, verse 1, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you. 
I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back, take you to be with me, so that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So let me set the scene for this text today. Trouble was in the air. Here in John's Gospel, Jesus' disciples were the ones who were experiencing trouble. Jesus looks at them and says, don't let your hearts be troubled. But they did have trouble. Here's why. Jesus had brought them to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the place, the site of the Passover. And that was all well and good. Any uh, good Jew would love to go to the Passover, except for the fact that it was now a dangerous place for those disciples. Dangerous because Jesus had previously uh, and repeatedly challenged the, the religious authorities. Jerusalem was the, the power base of, of the Jews. You can read about that in, in John chapter 11, verses 57 and following. These were rulers who were determined to arrest Jesus as soon as they could. And Jesus had brought them to Jerusalem. It was the time of the Passover, and they were aware of that, and they were naturally on edge. They could also sense that Jesus had a troubled spirit. He admitted it. Just before this time, we're reading about in chapter 14, in chapter 13, Jesus is meeting with his disciples, and there's an there's a indication clearly in Scripture that he had a troubled spirit. He admitted it. Just before this, this impact um, of trouble that was coming to, to the disciples that they were sensing, Jesus was sensing trouble. The disciples could sense it in, in their leader. When, when a leader appears to be troubled, it causes everyone else to be troubled. What does it say to us when, in fact, the stuff of this life troubled Jesus? Do you, when, when you think about who Christ was, the, the Son of God, God in flesh, here he was, um, God taking on human form, and yet he, he also understood all of the human things that you and I experience, and he was troubled. How in the world would we ever expect that we would slip through life on this earth and not experience some trouble of our own? Now, on top of that, check out the news that the disciples had just been given in the previous chapter. In John 13, Jesus had just revealed to them that on top of all of the trouble they had on the outside, there now was, a tr there was going to be trouble on the inside because a traitor was among them. That's what troubled Jesus. It caused trouble also for the disciples. It meant trouble. Uh, someone who was on the in inner circle was a traitor. Have you ever had that kind of trouble where someone close to you betrayed you? Betrayal? and trouble from an enemy 
is bad. But betrayal for someone close to you is, is beyond horrible. And in fact, the disciples didn't know who it was yet, so questions began to form in their minds. Is, is it you? Is it you? Who is it? Is it me? Is it him? Um, it caused suspicion among the disciples. Off the record, behind the backs, people are whispering. All that was taking place. And then when Judas left the room, there may have been some looks and nods and murmurings. Well, what do you make of that? And when Jesus told Peter he would deny him, um, was Jesus indicating that Peter was the one who was the traitor? And if that wasn't enough trouble, Jesus just told them that he was going to be leaving them. What, are you kidding me? All these things that we've been through, and now you're, you're taking off? He told them he was going to go someplace else, and they couldn't come with him. They were dealing with separation anxiety, fearing what would, come, what would happen to them, knowing that Jesus was troubled, hearing there was a traitor among them, learning that their leader was going to go someplace that they couldn't go. That put Peter over the edge. In fact, you'll look in, in, in chapter 13, verse 37, he goes, not me, Lord, I'm following you. I'm staying with you, now and always. Why can't I come with you? I'm going to lay my life down for you. Peter protests the fact that Jesus would leave them during this fiasco. Jesus said, you can come later, but wait for now. And Peter, Peter's having none of that. He insists it be now. By the way, isn't that often a source of trouble for us? The source of what so often troubles our heart is that we want God to move right away, right now. And and yet there are times when, in fact, we have to wait on God. I have to pause there long enough just to get this truth, I think, that can maybe help us to understand how to deal with trouble in our own lives. It's a thing that maybe this morning may change your life. Let me reteach it to you. Remember in the book of Daniel, when we were studying Daniel several months ago, the scene Daniel was praying and wonders why it took so long for the angel to come and answer his prayer. Do you remember that from the book of Daniel? Let me reteach it to you. Daniel 10, verse 12. It says, He continued, Don't be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. So here's the picture of Daniel praying. His words were heard. He said, I have come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future for the vision concerning a time yet to come. So here's Daniel praying, and, 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 and yet there was a delay. There was the, from the moment they began to pray, his words heard and an answer was coming, but... Uh, there was this delay. And, and many times that's one of the things that troubles us. It troubles us. Here's the thing about Christian prayer. Prayers are heard immediately, but answers can be delayed. If you need to be strengthened by the touch of God or God's messengers, you, you pray. But notice, from the moment he prayed, God heard, the answer was on the way, and then he kept on praying for three weeks. Somebody said, well, listen, three weeks, I've been praying three months or three years. 
prayers are heard immediately. Answers can be delayed. Answers to prayer are the result of asking in prayer. I've come because of your words. The angel was dispatched because Daniel prayed. When we pray, understand Christian prayer. Prayer matters. Prayer is not merely a, it's not a therapeutic exercise for, for needy people. This, isn't, this prayer isn't, isn't uh, somehow group therapy. Well, let's just get together and say a bunch of stuff to a God who we've never seen and see if it helps us. It's way more than that, folks. It, it's, it's, the, it, it's the thing, it's the way we communicate with God. He says, I, I've come in response to your prayer. James 4, you don't have because you don't ask. John 16, ask, you receive, your joy will be complete. So in the context there, Daniel, the, the Bible teaches about the prayer is that God is not our cosmic genie who serves our every whim, but rather God will not fail to give his children good things and we need to increase our understanding of what God calls good and we need to cultivate a desire for what is good and we pray in Jesus' name based on his authority and I pray according to his will. Now that's why you and I need to understand God's word is so that we don't pray amiss or pray and miss. <laughs> First John 5 this is the confidence we have in approaching God. If we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. From the moment you spoke, I heard, and the answer was on the way. And if we know He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask of Him. But you know that many times the, 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 the request, uh, sometimes the answer doesn't come immediately. That's one of the things that causes us trouble. Here's something else about prayer. Persistent prayer is a characteristic of powerful prayer. to pray and to keep on praying. Look, the angel was dispatched immediately, but it took 21 days for Daniel to see the answer. And so you keep on praying. I will tell you again, uh, this morning there were men that joined me in prayer. Six men prayed this morning. There has not been a Sunday that I can remember where there wasn't at least one, one person who joined me in prayer before first service to pray. This morning there were six. Do you know why we pray before the services and after the services? Here's why. We know that our prayers are heard immediately, and we want to get God involved as soon as possible. He's not the last resort. In every possible, we have confidence in what we ask according to His will, He hears, and, and that we will have what we ask of Him. I, I, will, I will say this again to us. You should force me, as a congregation, to extend the time between services and after services for more time of prayer. You should force it. Every elder should be busy until they need to race to class or leave home after second service starving, you know, because they know the importance of prayer and you've kept them busy. If we ever figured out the power of prayer, we would continue in prayer until the hand of the Almighty touched us and we would have what we ask for according to His will. Continued prayer. But when we pray, watch this, we want an immediate answer. So when we pray for healing, we want the healing now. When we see injustice in politics, we want justice now. 
When we pray for provision, we want manna from heaven right now. When we pray for peace, we want all the wars to stop. We, when we stand at the grave of a loved one, we want the resurrection now, don't we? When we're in trouble, we want it to end now. So maybe we shouldn't be so critical of Peter um, because many times the trouble we're in causes the same thing. Why can't we follow you now? Fix it now. Right? Let me make another observation from the text. Jesus said, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. Indeed, Christ ultimately ascended into heaven. He's sitting at the right hand of God the Father. He's coming. He's, he's there waiting to come again into this world. He'll come bringing judgment Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. But notice Jesus said, you can't follow me now, Peter, but watch this. Look where else he went before that. So Jesus is meeting with his disciples in the upper room, and then he goes from there to the garden, and he's betrayed. He goes to the garden, and he cries tears of blood. He went to a, a sham trial and shed blood when they placed a crown of thorns on his head. He went through a beating and he shed more blood. He died on a cross and shed more blood. He, he, he bore our sin. He endured Satan's fierce attack. He tasted death. He was in a cold, dark tomb. He descended into the depths of hell. Peter, you can't go with me there. Only I can lay my, down, my life down and pick it back up again. You want some more unnerving news, news from this text? Jesus looks at Peter and he says, Lay your life down for me, Peter? Really? The truth of the matter is, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. No, oh, Peter. Peter's the traitor. Jesus was warning us about. Can you feel the trouble in the air? There was trouble. Jesus spoke, spoke through a troubled heart to troubled hearts, and he still does. I want to say to you this morning, don't let your heart be troubled. I want you to see that Jesus is not telling them that the trouble they're experiencing, the trouble they were feeling, was because of lack of faith. He wasn't scolding them. A heart that is afraid because of trouble, it's not a sin. It's not a sin. There's other times when the picture of Jesus included him dealing with a troubled heart. This wasn't the only time Jesus had a troubled heart. John records in John 11 that Jesus had a troubled heart at the grave of Lazarus. It said he had such a troubled heart, he wept. In John chapter 12, Jesus was troubled to the point of crying bloodstained tears when he knew that his hours had come. It's time for him to face death, you know, and bring life to the world. Can you identify with Jesus? Can you see how Jesus can identify with you? Trouble. Jesus knows our troubled hearts. There's no need to try and hide it. You don't have to hide trouble. Why bother um, trying to pretend that worry and anxiety and grief doesn't affect us? Of course it does. And when our trouble causes pain, pain hurts. Somebody will say, well, look, <laughs> nobody knows the kind of trouble that I'm experiencing. So someone might simply say something like this, look, there is no way, all you men, you have no idea the kind of pain that a woman experiences in bearing a child. Well, that's true. I don't think there's any man stupid enough to argue about that. 
right? Someone else might say, though, look, all you single people, you have no idea the kind of pain a grieving spouse deals with when you stand at the grave of someone you love, someone who's been separated by death. Someone might say, look, all you married people, you have no idea the kind of pain a single person deals with because of loneliness or the pain a divorced person deals with because of separation, divorce. Someone would say, look, all you people, you, here, here's, here's what I've experienced. I bet there's no way for you to understand the pain I've had to endure. And guess what? They may be right. You could also say about Jesus, well, how does he know how I feel? He's never given birth to a child. He never stood by the graveside of a spouse who had passed away. Jesus never experienced the pain of divorce. He was never married. He never was abused by his father or mother. How could he know the trouble that I've seen? Pain is pain. Trouble is trouble. I know there's some people that seem to have experienced it at a level greater or lesser pain than others. Some things we could agree in life are more painful than others. But the fact remains that pain is pain. It hurts. It affects us. It's a common denominator. It levels the playing field. There's physical pain. There's mental pain, emotional pain, relational pain, psychological pain. Hebrews says it this way, but we don't have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. So here's the, here's the picture. Here's, here's the, the miracle of the incarnation that God... Um, didn't think that Jesus didn't think equality with God was something to be grasped, and so he took on the form of a man. He identifies. He lived life on this earth. He can he understands trouble. Remember, I've got problems, and you've got problems, and all God's people got problems. T R O U B L E. Someone should write a country song about that. What Jesus says in John 14 is the answer for when we experience trouble. Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Jesus said the answer to trouble is to keep believing in Jesus. I'm going to show, show us in Scripture we can believe in Jesus. Later on in John 16, Jesus said, yeah, you're going to have trouble but I've overcome trouble. Take heart. Believe in me. Keep on believing. I've told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So in his word, God's given us an answer for trouble. Jesus is saying, believing in me is the answer to troubling times. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in me. Believe also. You believe in God. Believe also in me. Now I want to make a distinction here. Um, when, when he's talking about believing, this isn't a pull yourself up by your own bootstraps kind of command. It's not a parent yelling at their child some kind of a sports uh, contest. It's not a digging deep for an extra gear of self-motivation. That's not what this is talking about. Of course, there's a time and a place for that kind of advice. Don't quit. Don't quit. Never give up. Um, you, you can do this. There are times when, when you need to press on and you, you keep a positive mindset and you persevere. That is good advice from, 
from, from anyone to, to, to someone who's going through a difficult time. You need to persevere. Um, you know, dig deep. Those are, those are encouraging words, but there are times when those words still have no effect. In the valley of despair, in the valley of darkness, in the valley of the shadow of death, what the, what the Bible's talking about here, self-help is of no help. You need help from above, not just help from within. There are things that positive thinking won't free you from. You can't get free from Egyptian slavery with positive thinking. Elijah could not escape depression with positive thinking. Daniel didn't get out of the lion's den with positive thinking. Paul and Silas didn't get out of jail with positive thinking. Jesus didn't rise again with with positive thinking. Positive thinking is not going to open the gates of heaven for you either. Look, there are times when the only one you can turn to is Jesus. And here comes Jesus. What do you do in trouble? You turn to Jesus. Here comes Jesus. Watch this. For the Christian, the hope of eternal life isn't a dry doctrine written in an ancient book. It's not a philosophy of living, and it's not shallow emotionalism. Say, oh, a bunch of Christians, they're just weak. They just, they're their crutch of the Bible, the crutch of Jesus. No, the Christian hope of eternal life is found in a person, and that person is Jesus Christ, the only Savior who ever lived and died and rose again from the dead and is alive today and is in heaven. He said, I'm the resurrection and the life, John 11. Those who believe in me, even though they die like everyone else, and, and they will live again. And everyone who lives believing in me is given eternal life and doesn't only die at all because I live, you shall live also. And then he looked at the people and said, do you believe this? Do you believe this? The answer for a troubled soul is to believe in Jesus Christ. Believing in yourself versus believing in Jesus. Those are two things are different. The reality of Jesus, the reality of God's love, the reality is forgiveness, and the reality of new birth. So believing in Jesus includes some of these things. Now let me just, we're going to talk about this, and we're going to look at our text and find out to see how, how Scripture is telling us this all works. First of all, Overcoming troubled hearts. Believing in Jesus includes overcoming troubled hearts. Believe in me. He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to do what you can't do for yourself. Trust in the one who can do all things. Trust in the one who knows all things. Trust in the one who has all the power. You trust God? Now trust me, Jesus said. You can trust me because I'm, I'm going to come get you. Trust me. Believing in Jesus includes pressing through the trial of hardships. Jesus never intended us to be dominated by what's happening to us now. But folks, don't be surprised at the fiery trials that come your way. Jesus faced trials too. Don't look for pragmatic answers alone to solve problems that are spiritual at their core. Sometimes our our presenting problems are spiritual problems. You have to deal with them in a spiritual way. Learn to lament with faith the dark days that lie ahead. The Apostle Paul said it this way. Romans 8, 18, I consider that the suffering of this present time not worth comparing with the glory that is about to be revealed to us. He said, listen, there's trouble in this world, but learn to lament with faith. It's not worth comparing with the glory that's going to be revealed to us. If we can press through the gunk, the good is coming. Watch this. Avoid the temptations of hell. We're living in a fallen world and the spiritual battles are raging. The cost of being a disciple is picking up your cross and following him daily. Satan still tempts us to avoid sacrifice. Today the devil is working behind the scenes, poking his little horns anywhere he can to cause trouble. 
Believing in Jesus means forsaking the things of this world. It means your eyes are on Jesus. It means your hope is not in this world, not, but, but, but rather is in the world to come. It means we choose to follow Christ and resist the devil. We walk in faith and not fear. We mean we live holy lives in obedience to Christ. Believing in Jesus means clinging to the touch of humanity. <laughs> you see, our faith, watch this. this. Too many people are confused about this. Our faith is personal, but it's never privatized. Believing in Jesus has always led believers into community, into fellowship, into shared life. That's church. We don't believe alone. We believe beside someone else. We're stronger and richer believers when we lean into each other. We're weaker and poorer when we drift apart. Jesus gives us each other now to help one another in our journey to the Father's house. In believing in Jesus, we have the hope of the treasure of heaven. We're going to talk just I'm going to expand this one point. We're hoping in the treasure of heaven. Look at the view of heaven from Jesus' words. These are reasons you and I can believe in Christ and the promise of heaven. One of the answers for trouble, believing in Jesus, one of the reasons you can believe in Jesus, heaven. There's a reason to believe. I want you to see this. So, first of all, he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Heaven, a reason to believe. First of all, heaven is a peaceful place. <laughs> There's no trouble in heaven. There's no trouble in heaven. In this world, you'll have trouble. There's no trouble in heaven. How do you get to heaven? He said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and the life. <laughs> You believe in Jesus. Whoever believes in me will not perish, but have everlasting life. A reason to believe. Heaven is a peaceful place. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Watch this. Heaven is a promised place. He said, you believe in God. Believe also in me. It's promised. If you, if you can't trust these words of Jesus about heaven, then I don't think you can trust him about anything. Heaven is a promised place. In heaven, all of God's promises are fulfilled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Heaven, another reason to believe it's a paternal place. Do you see that? In my verse 2, my father's house. My father's house. We have a home in the father's house. Not an earthly father, an eternal father. Father God, it's a paternal place. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, he says, listen, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. In my father's house. It's a populated place. How do we know that? He says, many rooms. We're dealing with trouble. You believe in Jesus. One of the reasons we can, is we can have hope is the hope of heaven. It's a reason to believe. It's a populated place. Many rooms. The saints of old are there. All the redeemed of the Lord are there. The loved ones who we knew and followed Christ are there. Thinking about that makes heaven seem like home, not some distant place. The Old Testament patriarch Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, New Testament disciples, the apostles, Mark and Timothy, the bridegroom himself, Jesus. Heaven is a populated place. 
He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. It's a prepared place. It's a place prepared for all of those who follow Christ. If we follow Christ, we end up where he did. In heaven, at the right hand of God, we're, we at his feet. Jesus said, I'll leave the light on for you. Jesus has prepared heaven for us. One of the reasons you can deal with trouble in this world is because you believe in heaven. It's a place prepared for you. It's a perfect place. He said, I'm, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. You know, the world that we're living in is not the world that God designed our human bodies to live in. Our human bodies um, coming through the fall because of sin, because of disobedience, because of the knowledge of, of you know, they ate from the knowledge of uh, fruit from the they ate fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Um, and since then, this world in our lives, our bodies, <laughs> are not perfect. But heaven is a perfect place. It's a place of faith and joy and love. We don't have a perfect place on, we don't live perfect lives on earth. No one does that, but heaven is a perfect place. It will exceed your wildest imaginations. It's magnificent. I read about this this last week. He took me in the spirit to a great high mountain, showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. It shone the glory of God. Now watch this, just a picture. The writer who had a vision of heaven, he said the wall was made of jasper. The city was pure gold, as clear as glass. The wall of the city was built on foundation stones inlaid with 12 precious stones. The first, jasper. The second, sapphire. The third, agate. The fourth, emerald. The fifth, onyx. The sixth, ruby. The seventh, crystallite. The eighth, beryl. Ninth, topaz. The tenth, turquoise. The eleventh, jacinth. The twelfth, amethyst. The twelve gates were made of pearls, each gate from a single pearl. And the main street was pure gold, as clear as glass. It's a, a perfect place. A perfect place. Heaven is a perfect place, and there's room for you there. But reservations are required. Reservations secured by faith in the saving grace of God. Heaven is also a permanent place. How do you deal with trouble on earth? Heaven is a permanent place. I said, I will come back, and I will take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Hebrews 11.10 says, For he, Abraham, was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect was built and builder is God. God built it. It's permanent. You can count on it. It's for eternity. Where he is, the I am, that is eternal. We spend a few years here on earth, but for the Christian, heaven is our home forever. A perfect place. So today... Beyond our natural troubled hearts, there's a supernatural joy that comes from knowing the reality of Jesus, the reality of God's love, the reality of forgiveness, the reality of new birth, and the reality of heaven. How do you deal with the trouble in this? What is the answer for trouble in this life? It is to believe in Jesus. What is our hope and our joy? Why can we weep and still have hope? I tell you, it's the gospel. It's the good news. That God so loved us that he sent Jesus, that if you believed in him and you followed him and you confessed your sin, 
and, 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 and you trusted in the atoning sacrifice of Jesus that someday you knew you'd be in a peaceful, promised, paternal, populated, prepared, perfect, permanent place. The gospel, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, the gospel is the power of God into salvation to everyone who believes. Paul said you can go on banking on the gospel. It will triumph over every obstacle you face in life. It will bring you to eternal safety and joy with God in heaven. The gospel is the only truth in all the world that will not let you down. It will bring you all the way through temptation and persecution and death and despair and pride and greed and judgment and trouble all the way to eternal safety and an ever-creasing joy in the presence of a holy and glorious God. What a comfort it is to think that the Bible promises us to be in the presence of Christ. Look, all the other Gospels will fail you in the end. There's one that saves you from sin and saves you for heaven. I'm sure that at some point in our life we all cry out, How long, Lord? How long? It's the cry of many a Christian in Scripture. But there's hope during chaos. The one who sits at the right hand of the Ancient of Days, ruling and governing with all authority over all things in heaven, above and on earth below, will bind Satan and his minions from deceiving the nations forever. He's already triumphed them triumphed over sin and death. He's justified his people through faith. He will break the forces of darkness once for all when he comes again in the clouds. Gives us reason to keep on believing. Gives us reason to put faith in Christ. The soon coming king. God's kingdom is established. It will present itself eternal and forever accomplish the purposes of God. And God will make a people unto himself and save his people for eternity to rule and reign with him. The answer to trouble is to believe in Christ. His kingdom is ruled by the Son of Man, Jesus Christ. It lasts forever. We're looking forward to a time when the final establishment of God's glorious kingdom on earth will come. But friends, this we know. We will see the enemy run. We know we'll see the victory come. We'll hold on to every promise that he ever made. Because Jesus is unfailing. The answer for trouble in this world is to believe in Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask the team to come and they're going to lead us in our last song. You say, oh, but you left us as an orphan. No, he never has. He said, I'll be with you to the very end of the age. I wonder this morning... If you'd bow your head with me, and would, you, would you have to think long to think of some trouble? Have you experienced some trouble? One, <clears throat> that identifies you with the human race. Every human being that's ever walked the face of this earth has experienced trouble. It may help you this, this morning to know that. It may help you to understand this morning that 
you're not alone. And I hope it helps you this morning to know that someone cares. So, someone cares. I hope that you know that Jesus cares. And he'll meet you at that point of need. Maybe this morning you take that burden, that care, and you cast it on him. He says, cast your cares on me because I care for you. You take that trouble you said, Jesus, here's my trouble. I give it to you. And I believe, oh God, that you are working in my life. I invite you to work in my life. Deal with this trouble. If you haven't experienced faith in Jesus Christ, now's the time where you ought to just simply stop and say, first of all, Jesus, I need to... I need your salvation. Save me by your grace. I will have trouble in my life. I, I, will, I will have trouble for eternity if I'm not saved. God, I believe you sent Jesus into this world. He loved me. He died in my place. He said, if I, you said, God, that if I believed in Jesus, I put my faith in him, confessed my sin, and, and took his free offer of grace to forgive me that you would save me by your grace. So Lord, I need, to, I need to deal with that trouble this morning. If you've dealt with that trouble, and you have the stuff of life trouble, and you've laid those cares on him, I want you to believe in Jesus. <laughs> Pray. Ask him for strength, grace, and mercy. But would you take heart when he says to you, don't be troubled? Hear the words of Jesus, don't be troubled. You believe in God, now believe in me. It's not always going to be like this. I'm here to help you. I work things out for my glory, for your good, to all those who love me and are called according to my purposes. Jesus says, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in me. And this morning, as you believe in Jesus, and you look beyond your trouble, and you see the perfecter of your faith working all things together for good, and you see the long side of the story, can you see yourself rejoicing in heaven? Say, it'll be worth it all when we see Jesus. Until then, God, I'm going to walk by faith. I'm going to stand on your word. I'm going to be led by your spirit. I'm going to trust in your mercies that are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to believe. I'm going to believe. And this we know. We'll see the enemy run. We'll see the victory come.
We'll hold on to every promise you've ever made. Jesus, you're unfailing. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this message from the Summit Church Podcast. Again, if you have any questions, visit us at summitniles.com. Now go and be the church in the world 